welcome back to Artist Avenue. In this episode, I will be talking to the beautiful soul that is Gwenan Bain. Gwenan is a London-based director and stage manager. She was the Bread and Roses Theatre's emerging director for 2018 and has a passion for new writing and a great love for pub theatres. Gwenan originally trained in musical theatre before starting her career backstage. She's also an artistic director for Stage Splinters, a theatre company specialising in developing new musicals. Her recent directing credits include productions such as Maisie and Existential Fish and Dread at the Bread and Roses Theatre. I am thrilled to be sharing Gwenan's story with you all today. So let's sit back, relax and dive into Gwenan's unique journey throughout the creative arts. And remember, an original is worth more than a copy. Enjoy the episode! My name is Gwenan. I am a director and stage manager. I was born and grew up in West Wales. And uh, now I live in London. Take us back to the beginning of your journey. How did you start out in the creative arts industry and with what disciplines and what brought you this joy of wanting to do this professionally? So my journey in the creative arts probably started when I was very young. Um, I had ballet and modern jazz lessons for quite a few years. But I suppose even before that, I grew up in quite a creative household. I was home taught for most of my childhood and I have very creative parents so there was just a lot of time to explore that and I I can't really pinpoint an exact moment where I knew that I wanted to work creatively but I think it was just always there Mm -hmm. and I was kind of surrounded by creative people as well so that career path was like a proper a proper I had visible examples of that if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And that was all in Wales. Did it start out there then? Yeah, yeah, that was all in Wales. Um, I didn't move away, actually, until I I did a foundation at Lane Theatre Arts in Epsom. And that was after doing my A-levels in school. So, uh, yeah, I didn't move away until then. Mm -hmm. And how was that first journey moving away? Like, did you how did you go about researching different colleges and how was the audition process for you? (laughs) It was it was uh, a bit like being dropped into this completely other world I think (laughs) although I mean I did know people I had a friend who I danced with in my classes and she was a year ahead of me and she actually she went to bodywork where we went as well so I I had some information from her about what it was like which was actually really great yeah so I think the audition process was strange definitely they were so far from home as well like none of them I didn't pick any colleges in Wales now I'm looking back I'm thinking why on earth did I didn't I do that I guess I kind of wanted to see what it was like outside of outside of my little bubble yeah how was it leaving home and like going into because essentially you came from a little town into a big city how was that and then a new way of training as well that must have been a massive change for you yeah, it, it was pretty huge. But I mean, Epsom itself, because first I went to Lane for a year before I came to Bodywork. Mm-hmm. Um, Epsom was quite a small town, I suppose. I don't, I don't think it's a city. So that was quite a nice transition. Um, mm-hmm. But the training, I, mean, I didn't have much time for exploring the surroundings. Like The training was pretty crazy, really intense and really amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, that year was great. But yeah, the, leaving home was... Uh, I think at the time it didn't really seem very big, but now I, I think I was just sort of like, yeah, that's just what everyone does. Everyone, everyone goes away for uni, you know. It's just um, natural. <laughs> yeah, well, I look back on it now and I think, oh, wow, that was actually pretty huge. So I think I, I appreciate it more now. Mm-hmm. I think when you're actually doing it, it doesn't, 
it doesn't feel that big maybe yeah and um obviously you then went on to train in musical theater further so you essentially kind of did four Mm. years did you have any ups and downs throughout your training any difficult moments and any highs and how you overcame them yeah I mean I mean I had a few uh I guess I don't know it's it's really hard to say because um I always knew that it was the training was going to be intense and the training was going to be hard um I did definitely have moments during my training where I I didn't doubt that I was doing something that I enjoyed Mm -hmm. um but there were times I think throughout my kind of career so far I have and, and my training I've often looked at myself against other people I think everyone does it don't they um and I've compared a little bit and there were definitely moments when I was training where I was looking around at people around me thinking oh I am nothing like these people that I'm spending this all this time with which this isn't a problem like you don't have to be like anyone else around you of course you don't but there were moments I think where I did think oh am I is this the right thing for me am I am I is this the right training for me and there, there were parts of the <laughs> Uh, there were parts of the industry that um in particular when I was training I kind of struggled with just accepting particular Mm -hmm. parts of it I guess the focus on your your physical appearance is one that's always really got me (laughs) Um, yeah and I I think it contributes so much to the mental health problems in the industry and it's something that I still I don't feel good about and even when I was training I was thinking oh well you've just told me to lose this weight but why why do I need to kind of thing um yeah it was something I always questioned and it was something that I found hard to get by so then I had I guess I had these thoughts fighting my um fighting the career that I thought I was going for yeah Um, and then how did your journey evolve once you graduated you came out obviously having trained musical theater for a very long time what happened for you then well um what did I do then I now it's again looking back on it because I I moved straight to London after graduating mm-hmm. and I now I'm sort of I look back and I'm thinking oh why 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 did I do that I guess it's the done thing isn't it it's you graduate and you move to London and you get a job on the stage it's amazing which does happen to loads of people um and I guess I was really excited to try to try and see what London was like but Cambridge itself like it's I feel like I didn't ever really spend much time in the city there. Now I'm thinking back, I'm like, oh, wow, I wish I'd, I wish I'd explored it more. But we just didn't have the time, did we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so full on. I remember my weekends, we just used to like, sleep. And I mean, we were training. Chocolate. Yeah, we yeah. were training at <laughs> to like, I don't know, 8pm yeah. in the evening. Yeah, and then we yeah, you have weekend jobs as well. And you also have to do all your homework. And yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. So I, feel, I really feel like I'd still like to explore Cambridge more. But um, yeah, that wasn't the question. Um, <laughs> after, after graduating, I moved to London and uh, I did start auditioning. I think during my third year at Bodywork, um, I had a bit of a realisation. I realised that it was mainly the acting side of the musical theatre course that I was enjoying. And I, I, do, I love singing and I love dancing. And now I... I still do them. They're just very much a hobby. And in the third year, I think I realized that it was the acting I liked most. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I left, I really pushed that. I did a few short films, like student films, like, to build up some showreel material. And at the same time, we were doing our BA topic at GSA, which was, I really loved doing that. 
it was I've always great. been yeah wasn't it I've always been quite academic I think so a chance to exercise that a little bit was really nice and I had a job as well I had a job on a bar I worked at the King's Cross Theatre which mm-hmm. is cool again like it's so many wonderful people worked there but again I was think I was working with a lot of actors but also other creatives there which is something I hadn't really like I hadn't really met many people who worked in the arts but weren't performing yeah um, and it wasn't until I got there that I was looking around and I was thinking, wow, there are all these people who work in this industry that I love, but they're doing all these other things, which I think that opened my eyes a little bit because when I was, when I was growing up in Wales, like there, there, is, there is a fair amount, there's a lot of creativity where I live and the community that I grew up in is so creative. But I just never really considered that there were other roles within the performing arts, I suppose. Like there's a whole world of other jobs that you can consider. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think that's a very valid point to make because I think we go through training and we obviously focus on what we're training on so much that Mm. a lot of the times we don't realize how much goes on around us till we actually get out in the real world and Mm. get to do all these like front of house jobs, these bar jobs. And I think that's really, really important for people to experience and appreciate, I think, how much is going on around just being an actor or around just being a performer. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's no just about it. Like, I have mm. so much. Like, I mean, now working as a director and a stage manager and backstage and stuff like that, I have more admiration for, for performers than I ever, ever did. Like, way more than when I was training. I was like, yeah, I, just, I, just, I want to perform. I just, I, like, and people would say, oh, aren't, isn't, that, isn't that really, really hard? And I was like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but now I'm clearly, I wasn't ever taking it seriously. I don't know. Because I, it's just. I watch them and I think, wow, these people are incredible. So yeah, I have so much admiration for that. It yeah. seems it seems pretty strange that I was on that journey originally. I think yeah. it what you're looking at it now though from another set of eyes, you know? Mm. Like yeah. I think when you were training, it probably all looked so obvious and so easy to you because it was in a way, because that's what you were doing day to day, but now you're looking at it from mm. the outside view. So it's probably still like easy for you in a way, but you're seeing it from another pair of eyes and that might be more mesmerizing as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So at any point after graduating, did you feel like you had any pressure to get your first job in a specific amount of time? Yes, I think so. Although actually having said that, because I was doing the course at GSA, I felt like I was at least filling my time with um, like productive things, like performance, productive performing things. Yeah. You know, I, re- I was working towards that goal as well. And that was taking up quite a lot of my time. So between that and working, it did feel, it didn't feel like I was wasting my time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I definitely think that there is a pressure for getting your first job and when that's going to happen. And also you see the people, you see people in your year who are, like landing these amazing roles like amazing amazing roles and I was I was just like wow wow and obviously you're so happy for these people but yeah there's there's pressure for sure there's definitely yeah. pressure like the way that because I think it's very brave for someone who has started out as a performer and done all the performing training and then go ahead and like say I'm gonna change now I'm gonna go into a different route still in the industry but I'm gonna try to go a different route and that's what you did essentially And I just wanted to ask you, how did you make that change? How did you even come across it that you said, I'm going to go more into the directing route now? I can't pinpoint a moment where I was like, 
okay, this isn't working for me. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try directing now for definite. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really, yeah, I don't remember that moment. I do remember in my third year um, at Bodywork, we had a teacher, one of our singing teachers. We had a lesson where we were, I, you might remember this, we were told, um, like we were given some like potential roles that we could play, like our kind of potential casting types and stuff. And she, she I was given some roles and I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I quite like those. Um, I'm excited about my potential career. <laughs> um, but then she also said, I can see you as a director as well. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not what I want to do. So whatever. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I totally wasn't like that. I was very thankful. Um, and even more thankful now because obviously she was right. And I just hadn't realized. So yeah, I think I had, I had about a year, a year and a half, I think, after graduating, working as an actor occasionally. I never found the, the, the short films I did, I mean, they were beneficial for my reel, I suppose, but I never found them that rewarding, mm -hmm. really, in terms of what I got out of the job, like personally, and for my development as a creative, I guess. But I did a play in Guildford, which I really enjoyed. And that was a kind of defining moment, I think, because I was loving it. And I remember that I was loving it but still, I don't feel like I was considering it to be like my career. I didn't feel like my, I was an actor, if that makes sense. Like I did, I kind of struggled calling myself that. People said, what do you do? I was, I was sort of a not embarrassed, but there was just something not quite right with saying, oh, I'm an actor. Um, so I guess I kind of, I wanted to try something different because there was, I think I just felt like it wasn't quite working. I think I just did some Googling, actually. I did some Googling of smaller venues in London because that's another thing that the King's Cross Theatre and working with those people gave me was a knowledge of like, the smaller venues in London. So it's not just the West End, it's not cruise ships, um, which I think our course was quite geared towards. It was like bigger shows and cruise ships and like, those more commercial roles. And yeah, I started gaining this knowledge of the other venues that are around and the work that's being produced in them. Mm. So I did some Googling and I found some uh, like trainee directorships that some venues uh, offer. And I did, a, I applied for a few and then I had an interview with the Bread and Roses Theatre in Clapham and I was really lucky and I, I got their emerging director scheme and I was their emerging director for 2018. Yeah, and I, I think all the work that I've done since then has spiraled from that yeah they they gave me like they gave me roles as assistant director throughout that year and I've continued to work with them uh since then they actually the artistic director of the bread and roses Valencia Spearpoint um she I'm <laughs> name dropping name dropping Valencia um <laughs> she she actually was pretty influential in me getting my first role as a stage manager because she was working on the show that I stage managed so it's yeah it's really just spiraled from there and it's been amazing and I it's totally it's a totally different way of learning and actually I think it came to me at exactly the right time because obviously I'd done all this training but I hadn't actually really managed to put it into like practical uh, I'd like actually do anything practical with it after training and then with GSA as well like you've done all this learning but you don't really know necessarily where to put it afterwards um but the the emerging director 
uh, scheme that they do it's designed for people who want a career change perhaps but they don't want to go back to training and that was me because I, I couldn't face like doing more years in training at that moment in my life so you just learn on the job like mm-hmm. uh, everything was really scary uh, but also really amazing so before we dive into more of the smaller venues because I think that's really important to address would you like to tell us a bit about what a stage manager and a director actually do from your perspective? Yeah, sure. I'll start with, I'll start with directing. Um, so as a director, I mean, I think these things are slightly different as well. Like they're very different show to show, but they're also different on like what level you're working. Because if you're like the only work I've done is within new writing and on, but in the London fringe theater scene. So as a director there, I mean, you're, you're responsible for the, I guess, the artistic vision of the show. Mm-hmm. The, the productions I've worked on, I've been involved in the casting and just generally like all the points of the show, like where you need to create the artistic vision, basically. And then when you go into rehearsal with Fringe Theatre, it's generally quite small teams. You work with small teams of people. So there's not a big uh, like hierarchy between roles that like, you don't always have um, assistant directors say so it is quite solitary sometimes you're going to rehearsals and you'll generally be like then you might have your stage manager with you there yeah so your job is basically to get the show on its feet and then uh do the stuff (laughs) (laughs) what about the stage manager as a stage manager i like to think of it much more like facilitating it's less creative or it's less it's a much it's a like it's a different type of creativity from the directing quite often you will be given tasks or like say you someone will say to you oh this needs to happen then mm-hmm. and then it'll be your job to work out how that can happen then because it, this actor is actually coming off the other side of the stage and they need to change then and they need to pick up this prop which is all on the stage already um stuff stuff like that um and just generally i think again if it's a smaller team of people you will end up doing lots of extra jobs like I, I normally operate the shows that I stage manage, um, which means I'll be doing the, uh, the lighting and sound cues during the show. So I'll be with them for the whole run, but I won't be backstage. I will be at the lighting desk. So you, can't, you kind of end up doing a bit of everything, which is great because I love learning about what everyone does. What else have I done? Like during rehearsals, you'll be creating um, your cue script, um, just the general like book for the show, keeping notes of everything keeping schedules uh, making the schedules just kind of liaising with lots of people making sure everything happens on time yes I remember once I don't know, well I think it was last year or the year before when I came over and you're like we need to go and find books and I was like okay yeah <laughs> we went to this massive hall to find so many books and <laughs> yes yeah prop sourcing prop sourcing is a big part prop sourcing um Oh yeah, and you have quite a lot to do for the get in and get out of the show as well. Generally, um, it's your job to construct the plan for those. And I love, I love get ins. Always so much fun, especially if there's like painting and set construction involved. And then there's always the moment right at the end where you realise you're like, oh my god, we have not enough time to do this. Why have we been going so slowly all day? <laughs> um, but yes. So let's move on then into the topic of French theatre and smaller venues in the UK. Mm. Um, so let's start off with explaining what fringe theatre actually is. Mm, good question. Um, I see it as it's, fr- it's theatre that's being made, um, I guess, outside of the West End. Mm-hmm. They are 
like typically smaller venues, um, probably smaller production scale. There's there's less money in fringe theatre than there is in the West End, say. I think originally, actually, fringe theatre was kind of considered a place for more experimental shows to be produced, like maybe shows that kind of challenge the status quo a little bit, maybe more political, um, just people making work that wasn't as mainstream. I think that was what fringe theatre was probably originally considered as. I don't know how true that is now. I think it's probably changing the perception of it because now you have like experimental companies like selling shows, selling out shows in the West End. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But I guess theatre naturally evolves. Like I think everything to do with the creative industry is Mm. naturally an evolving industry. Yeah, definitely. I think French theatre especially is, sorry, Mm -hmm. I just interrupted you there. No, I think it, (laughs) it was, it's so, it's, it's for me, uh, one of the things I love about it is it's so current. Like you, if you work with new writing, you're working with people who are talking about the issues that they are concerned about right now. So yeah, I think it does really reflect the society at this stage or at whatever stage it is. So in these hard times of the pandemic at the moment, a lot of regional and fringe theatres are facing a very difficult time. And I just wanted to see what you think about it what do you have to say about this problem at the moment and what do you think we can all do in order to help um good question i think oh i mean there's so much to worry about with the theater industry right now (laughs) isn't that um it's yeah it's a it's a pretty huge issue um i mean we've seen so many redundancies and theaters going into administration in the past couple of weeks um like regional theaters like big regional theaters though it's not then they're not small um Mm -hmm. and that's that's the whole cultural sector lost from those towns like they're really important it's not it's not like london where there are theaters on (laughs) every corner i mean but in london like i don't i don't know i don't know what the the landscape of theater will look like after this i don't think anyone really does as to what we can do about it uh i mean money if 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 there is anyone who is in the position to donate to their local venue, um, uh, you just have a Google. There'll, there'll be venues all around you um, and they'll all have little donation pages. Um, anything will help, I'm sure. Um, also, I, I feel like we're just not being heard. Like it's this, this issue with not getting funding and help from the government. Um, hopefully, by the time this podcast airs, we'll all have been given like hundreds of thousands of pounds towards the arts and that will be amazing. I don't, I don't necessarily know what we can do to make ourselves noticed uh, by the people who have the power and who have the money. Um, but we just have to keep being loud. We do. We have to keep signing physician petitions. We have to keep signing petitions and lobbying our MPs and uh, using our social medias to, yeah, to, to be loud. Use them as a yeah. platform. Social media is very powerful yeah. at the moment. So it really, really is. And I also, yeah, it really, really is. It feels overwhelming. I think yes. but there are things that we, there are things that we can do that aren't overwhelming. There are, there are small actions that we can take where if everyone does, it could really, really make a difference. And there were people doing that amazing project as well. There is a proper community and there's so much content there already that if you are ever thinking, I want to write to my MP, but I don't exactly, I don't have the words to put what I'm feeling, but like I, I can't put what I'm feeling into words right now. I can't really like articulate it. There are templates everywhere, all over social media that people have written and used um, 
and you you can take them and you can like send them send them yourself it's uh so there's there's a lot of resources as well mm-hmm. um yeah yeah definitely um in your opinion what unites us as creatives mm, good question um i think the main thing for me is just there's an understanding when you meet an, a fellow creative a fellow creative person there's an understanding of what it takes personally to stay in this industry because you're you're if you if you don't have the passion for it you're not you're not going to do it are you it's, no. uh, so there there's you there's just this like unspoken understanding that you you know you can't you had a, you have an idea of what it's like for the other person mm-hmm. definitely and what's the biggest thing that you have learned on your journey as a creative hmm <laughs> Um, <laughs> there, I'm sure there are many, many things I've learned. I guess the, one of the main ones would be you have to trust your instincts. Um, if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't for whatever reason. Sometimes you can fix things and, um, after acknowledging them, sometimes that it will feel a lot better. But if there are things, say if you're, I think if you're picking work as well, like you don't have to say yes to everything. That's something I've learned quite a big mm-hmm. thing actually. Um, it's lovely to be offered work, but if you don't feel good necessarily about the job itself, then you don't have to take it just because you're generally told to say yes to everything. That was another lesson. Mm -hmm. Be nice, be nice to everyone, be kind, be helpful. Chances are if you do a good job and you are pleasant to work with, then you will work with these people again, especially, um, if you're working on smaller shows, there's a huge community within fringe theater another reason why it's so great but every everyone knows everyone else but you you will always meet someone who's worked with someone else who's worked with this person who's worked with that person and it's such a small world so yeah just be treat others how you want them to treat you i suppose i guess we always forget i think sometimes in our industry with the whole buzz going on and so much having to be prepared at the same time in such a short mm. amount of time. I think often we forget that we are being seen and we are being heard in our company. And even if it feels yeah. like we're left alone, I think we underestimate the power of our presence as artists, mm. just being present in the room. You are remembered by every single creative that you work with in a way. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so I think that's really yeah. important. I mean, you'll just get so much more out of your job as well. I mean, I like, I like, I mean, I've worked with quite a lot of the same people on multiple shows. Um, and I've done that because I know I like working with them. I also love working with new people, of course, but, um, it's that thing of finding your tribe, isn't it? Finding your tribe and then building around you this, um, community of people that, you know, you like and trust because there has to be trust as well. Yeah. Hmm. And the last one of my mean series of questions (laughs) what makes you unique as a creative this one is so hard (laughs) i know that's why i love it question it's horrible i've listened to other episodes of this podcast and gone oh god you might ask me this (laughs) it's a must in this podcast so (laughs) yeah um oh it's so hard to talk about yourself isn't it um that's what we need to learn to cherish though yeah no it's it's very very true (laughs) i think um i'm good at thinking on my feet and i'm good at being quite inventive uh this is these are things that have come 
become very relevant when I'm working as a stage manager because there's never enough time and there are always things that you have to fix. Um, and I, I, I do like a challenge like that. I think my experience of first being on stage and training for that and then moving backstage as a director and moving into the stage management and also the operating side, it's given me quite a good overview of what it takes to get a show off the ground and working and continuing to work throughout its run. Um, there were just, there were so many people involved and there are so many different angles and different ways that people are looking at the show. I think it's quite easy to forget that sometimes if you're doing your role and someone is doing this thing that goes against what you need to do and you're, then you have to have that conversation. But it's so easy to forget that you are not the only person working on a show sometimes. Um, so I think my, yeah, the experience I have from all these different angles has helped me a lot in understanding the process. And do you have any last comments or advice that you want to share with the listeners? I would say definitely don't be afraid to alter the path you're on if you feel it's not working for you. Nothing is set in stone and no part of your journey is wasted. I don't think that's a part that I would change. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, I guess when, when I talk about it, it sounds probably quite weird to say that because it has been so different and quite varied but that I think that journey has helped me to discover that I do like that I like the variation that is beautiful like that is the beauty in it and I think that's why like for example you inspire me so much for having gone your own way and having just you didn't go the normal routes you're like I'm gonna do this and I know it hasn't been easy all the time but as you said that is the beauty that shaped you into who you are and how you're working today and that's how it should be I guess yeah definitely yeah it is that it is it's like it's that thing of not being afraid to try something new yeah and if it doesn't work you can try something else um I think it's important not to get stuck yeah yeah find your tribe find the people who when you're with them you think oh yeah I'm like you and you grow with yeah. every single experience. So I think you should always do new things and experiment because hmm. there's nothing to lose. The best yeah. thing you can do is grow from it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, it was lovely having you. <laughs> it was lovely being here. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Artist Avenue will be back next Wednesday with another exciting interview. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean and Google Podcasts and also to follow us on social media so you don't miss a thing. Keep spreading the word and see you next week.